I'm not allowed to say how many planes joined the raid, but I counted them all out, and I counted them all back. Their pilots were unhurt, cheerful, and jubilant, giving thumbs-up signs. Lee Mink squeezed the trigger. The Sea Harrier juddered as he loosed off a couple of short volleys to find his range. Streams of ejected shell casings rattled against the bottom of the rear fuselage. A third burst peppered the water around the Armada jet. That got his attention. Scalded by the realisation that he'd been fired on, the A-4 pilot snap-rolled the little Delta-winged fighter bomber to starboard. Too late, thought Leeming. Before the Skyhawk could pull into the turn, the RAF pilot placed the gunsight pipper right on the cockpit. He pressed the fire control, and ahead of him, 30mm cannon shells blazed through the sky. Leeming was little more than 150 yards away from his target and on a collision course when the first few rounds struck home with devastating effect. Hit along the fuselage behind the cockpit, the jet disintegrated spectacularly into an explosive maelstrom of fire and metal. Too late to dodge the fireball, Leem shrank into his ejection seat and closed his eyes as he flew through the debris cloud produced by his guns. The last thing he saw before emerging on the other side of the fireball was the sight of the Skyhawk's starboard wing breaking away from the fuselage. It's going to take me with it, he thought, as he shot through the gap between them. That was an excerpt from Roland White's incredible new book, Harrier 809, and the subject of this week's Top Landing Gear. Welcome to Top Landing Gear and to a podcast inspired by the writing of Roland White, specifically his latest offering, Harrier 809, all about the Sea Harrier operation during the Falklands War. It's yet another brilliant read following on from his blockbuster Vulcan 607, which tells the story of the Black Buck raids during the same conflict. So we'll be hearing from Roland White a little later and talking all things Sea Harrier. But not before we've introduced ourselves to you and to each other. Um, hello, chaps. Lovely to be with you again. Good I'm, evening. I'm, I don't know if you knew, I'm Rob Curling, <laughs> a, a broadcaster, senior member of the team in that I'm the oldest by quite some distance. There's pop superstar and lead singer with the indie rock band Scouting for Girls, Roy Stride, the youngest member by quite some distance, although he is also actually quite old. Which shows how old the rest of us are. For a pop are. star, is old. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then taking up the middle ground and thanks, of similar thanks, age. <laughs> it's a good start. I still dig in there right within the first thirty <laughs> seconds. Brilliant. <laughs> taking up the middle ground and of similar age and dimensions to one another, we have our professional pilot James Cartner and agricultural fencer Jez Curling. Gents. Great Evening. to be back. Thank Great you. to be with yeah, you. Thank, thank you for having you. us. Yes. Good. Had good good weeks. Good days since last we gathered. It's been quiet. Has it? Put the fire out from the from the oven uh, when I got back <laughs> from the last one. Uh, since that, yeah, just been cooking on the barbecue. 
<laughs> I, I've been doing more flying than our professional pilot, James. Good that's good. That's exciting. How many yeah. hours have you got under your belt? I, I've got nearly five and a half now. My goodness yeah. me. And you're Icarus. Yes, love oh, it. Goodness me. Very, very quiet week. Not fences? much has happened. Bit of fencing, bit of diggering. Pulls and carrots from a veg pack. <laughs> Because it's a roast beef. What a life. That's it. What a life. It's been quiet. I've been turning the new wheel that I put on the wheelbarrow. <laughs> nice. It spins really nicely. Oh, that's it's really, It's really <laughs> beautifully balanced. I'm loving it. But I'm really looking forward to next week is what I will say. Yes. Oh, we're doing a little trip, aren't we? We are. A little yes. top landing gear road trip to Bomber County. Yeah, more on that later. Uh, thanks, of course, to all our listeners. <laughs> you may have all switched off by now. But thank you for making time to download the podcast and for all your comments on social media. We've got a few shout-outs we must give as well. Gareth Cohn, Jimbo, you wanted to mention? Old friend of mine, he's, he just, every time we put up an episode, he forwards it, shares it on all his socials and everything. So oh. I can't thank people who do that enough. And if anyone else wants to do that, that's a really good idea because it makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> thanks, Gazza. Uh, conehead. We conehead. <laughs> we must also give a shout out to one of our most loyal listeners, Christos Nikolai, who ran the virtual London Marathon at the weekend in aid of the RAF Association. And he finished at the old RAF station at Kenley in Surrey. And to make the experience as tortuous as possible for himself, <laughs> he listened to the whole of Top Landing Gear Series 1 while he was doing it. I think that, <laughs> that is, is a so medal-worthy. That is yeah. medal-worthy. Absolutely yeah. above right. Above and beyond. Yeah. It is above and beyond. And um, he's set up a donations page, by the way, at uk.virginmoneygiving.com. I think the least we could do is make a donation, Definitely. don't you, Tim? Yeah, but well done, Christos. That's a stunning effort. It is. Um, a few little bits of news. We see that David Williams, who was in our last podcast, his jumbo, the jumbo he was talking about in that incident at Gatwick, Flew out of Heathrow for the last time, sadly, uh, just the other day. But you had some news on this, Jero, on its future life. Yes. Uh, David uh, sent me a message saying uh, that it's it's left Heathrow. And I said... I watched it. For the scrap heap. Yeah, because it was Amazing. going to the, the big... The big desert in the sky. Desert in the sky. <laughs> well, it has <laughs> gone to a big desert, but it's that's actually going onward for a new use of life as a cargo aircraft. With so it's Atlas keep, Air. Yeah, well, it's yeah. going to keep flying. Well, hey. Which is great. Yeah, that so is good. That is really good news. So you know, I wonder. How, I wonder how much they paid for it. I bet. Well, got... next to nothing. Must yeah. have... Maybe do you think do so? a freedom of information request somewhere. <laughs> if it's going to be a, a cargo aircraft, does that mean it's got to have things changed? It depends I mean, how they're going to. Yeah, out, because I, I think you can have genuine original built jumbos for cargo, which have the nose that flips up, yes. and you yeah. can fly a helicopter inside it, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think though there are others which just use the space, which which have a side door, but it will need some sort of modification. Mm. It's a big side cargo door. I don't know if they can modify them for a passenger one to make the nose flip up as a as a cargo one or not. Oh, that's interesting. So well, Barbarella, it was called, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's, it's sister has gone this week as well. There's three apparently. Yeah, two more to go. Two more to go, and two British Airways to go, yeah. uh, who will fly out of Heathrow together on Thursday. We are recording this <clears throat> on October the sixth, so by the time you hear this, all of this will have happened. And they're doing a they're doing a fly around, aren't they? I think one of them one is. is going to do a little go around. We hope so. Uh, yeah, that will have happened by the time you hear this podcast. We've inadvertently started with one of our very popular regular features. 
Ask James. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> having started our Ask James, um, I think a few questions have come in. And actually, mm-hmm. could I ask you one, James? I know we rather hog this slot ourselves, don't we, when we ask our listeners to, to ask. But it, it stays with the jumbo thing, actually, because mm-hmm. David was talking about um, being required to make his emergency landing on the piano keys, so much earlier on the runway than he would normally. Mm-hmm. So his approach is, you know, what he's looking at yeah. is different. And it made me think about, because when you're sitting in a jumbo, you are that much higher than most other airlines, if you're using those visual approach slope indicators, the vases mm. or the pappies, mm-hmm. precision approach yeah. indicators, do you... It, does that mean that the signal that you get when you're much higher up because you're sitting in a jumbo is actually incorrect, or, or how does it work? Well, the the it's pretty much nearly all pappies everywhere now. The vases are a bit older. Uh, pappies give you an approach, so you can it'll give you a, a three degree. Basically, there's four sets of lights, either one side or both sides of the runway, and if you have uh, two whites, two reds, you'll bang on the the approach. As you get lower, the optometry of the the bulbs change, and the one of the white lights becomes red and if you get even lower then you get four reds so four reds if you normally see that you have to go around four whites means you're really steep so you probably have to go around but three reds and a white means you're a tiny bit uh low so you go up a little bit on on the slope um, and vice versa for for whites and a red so you want to ideally see two reds two whites all the way down for a visual approach but this is just for the approach so in the last hundred feet they're not landing aids they're approach aids so i say in the last hundred feet each aircraft will have a slightly different um method of landing so you ignore them pretty much once you're within a couple hundred feet oh okay oh thanks jimbo um Roy, did you have a question? Yes, yeah, for... yeah. I, much more important subject than that. Go <laughs> on. Question from Mick Horsley, who has been a, a supporter of the podcast from the very beginning. Yeah. I've seen reviews he's left. He has been promoting us loads. And I was just looking on the charts now. We're, we're number three in the aviation podcast chart on oh. iTunes at the moment. So uh, hmm, that top UK-based <laughs> right. podcast. Okay. Uh, Mick, let, let's, let's talk about the important things here. <laughs> You've mentioned toilets a lot. <laughs> oh, not again. again. <laughs> but I feel the question is unresolved. After, uh, after, even after three after episodes. Even after, Rich, after Rich's question, follow-up last week. <laughs> There's more. People love toilet talk, what, don't they? What do fast jet pilots use? Ah, oh. oh, well... Do they have anything? Is there well, anything? There's nothing on board the aircraft as such. The, the, the aircraft are not fitted with anything. Yeah. But there is a... Um, a little bag that you can be issued with, yeah. which is basically it's a almost vacuum-packed, flat um, plastic bag with a sponge inside it that's also completely flat. Yeah, and it has a little tube for your, yeah wherever to go wherever, and you well, can. Shall I explain? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how does that you work? Know <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you're on a long, long sortie and you're, you're desperate for the for the loo, you can um, use the bag. Unstrap a little bit. So complicated whilst flying fast. I mean, it should. You should be. You know, an autopilot should be not in combat. Probably not in combat now. (laughs) Probably have a flying suit. Yeah, well, you have to. I mean, there'd be a lot of unstrapping uh, going. I do have actually a very funny story, which I might save for another episode. Do you have to unstrap yours in order to get it out? Oh, that's not. So, what needs to be unstrapped? (sighs) Such strap Unbelievable. <laughs> you're taking, I mean, this is pretty low anyway, but you're taking it even lower. Um, and then, yes, you can enter the, into the bag um, and the, the, the sponge absorbs it so there's hopefully no spillage and it can be put in a flying suit pocket for later. <laughs> <laughs> 
sounds like the most insane thing to do. When you get out of the aeroplane, you'll take it out. Squeeze it out, ring it out but James, you know so much about this. It's, it's very impressive. Well, the other thing is we used to get uh, use them in, in dining-in nights because if you're at an RAF dining-in night, you're not allowed to leave the table until after the Queen's the, the toast. Oh, really? So if you're desperate for the loo while you're sitting around the table... No. If, if, you, if you get up during a dining-in night, uh, it's a fine of normally two bottles of port for standing up. <laughs> so you cannot leave the table. So I do know of people who have slipped inside their, uh, their mess kit. Brilliant. I have and a friend who thinks he might... The- have under the table oh, yeah, a little yeah. bit of relief <laughs> and they've saved themselves the embarrassment plus the price of two bottles of port and what well, about female yeah. pilots uh, I believe they are, there are nappies available um, again it's not quite as um, well neither of them are pretty how, glamorous but so they can how wear do you do that nappy. whilst flying like I couldn't imagine doing that whilst driving just a let car. it go but you can I mean if, if the autopilot I'm saying you're in a, yeah. in a hold it'll be for, if you're on for example, on combat air patrol, where you're in with a cap hold, yeah. holding for an hour or so, waiting for any trade to come, you're desperate. An order pilot will, will fly the aircraft. You yeah. haven't got a couple we could take up to Lincolnshire with us. <laughs> <laughs> you might need them in the drive. car. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if we can source some. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> Love that. And now it's time for Jez's Sea Harrier. Quick facts. OK, let's here we go then. Uh, the Hawker Harrier story starts with three men, Sidney Cam, Ralph Hooper and Stanley Hooker, all instrumental in the design and development of the first Estol short takeoff and landing aircraft in the world. Various developments of the aircraft followed, which at first was named the Kestrel, and finally in 1967 the RAF ordered 60 of the newly named Harrier GR1. Following an initial landing on Ark Royal in 1960, it was in August 1978 that the navalised Harrier took to the air over Dunsfold for the first time, followed by an order from the Royal Navy for 34 aircraft, and the legend of the Sea Harrier was born. The Shah, as it's commonly known, saw active service in the Balkans conflicts in the 1990s and, of course, the 1982 Falklands War, operating mainly off aircraft carriers based within the conflict zones. During the Falklands War, Shahs on HMS Invincible and HMS Hermes were deployed, shooting down or destroying 20 Argentine aircraft. The Harrier became so feared that Argentine pilots named the aircraft La Muerta Negra, the Black Death. Which would be really annoying because they were in grey. They were yeah. in grey. And, and a lot of time yeah, so repainting them grey. <laughs> the guy at Farnborough who spent months <laughs> developing the air and they couldn't get the colour right. Yeah. Oh well, it's probably why we won. <laughs> 28 Sea Harriers and 14 ground attack GR3 Harriers were sent to the South Atlantic and into the total exclusion zone with the GR3 employed mainly in a ground attack role. Sea Harriers in the South Atlantic were pitted against Argentinian Air Force Skyhawks, Mirage and Super Etendards uh, armed with the devastating Exocet missiles. Reserve Harriers were deployed to the Ascension Island where they awaited collection by the hastily converted merchant navy ship, the Atlantic Conveyor. Unlike the GR version used by the RAF's mud movers, the Sea Harrier was fitted with Blue Fox and later Blue Vixen radar for its air-to-air combat role in fleet protection. Carrying the latest AIM-9 Lima Sidewinder missile, the more manoeuvrable Harriers got the better of the faster Argentinian enemy aircraft. Indeed, one Sea Harrier alone, flown by RAF Flight Lieutenant David Morgan, famously shot down two Skyhawks in a single encounter. 
Sea Harriers were powered by Rolls-Royce Pegasus engines and it is of course the unique design of the Harrier which allows it to be so manoeuvrable at low speeds and to carry out viffing, vectoring in forward flight, although this ability was reportedly not uh, frequently used in the Falklands conflict. Further developments of the Shah followed through the 1980s and 90s with the last Sea Harrier FA2 built in 1998 before its retirement in 2006, which I think we all agree was a very sad day for British aviation and the British military. Yeah, yeah. And that is your <coughs> quickish facts. Very good. Well done, Jess. You good. don't find well it easy, do you? No, it's a struggle. No. It's a struggle, but it's very interesting. Great. It's great facts. Yeah. yeah, they are. We do miss the old Harrier. We do miss the it's quick tragic. facts as well. Have they not gone yet? Sorry. I'm going to do two next week. <laughs> Just two sentences. Quicker. And you can guess what it's about. Start calling it quick fact. Yeah. <laughs> or just fact. No, they were great facts. Yeah, I do miss the Harry. No, yeah, we do. And it's funny because in, in Roland White's interview, he mentions how it was regarded really as a bit of an air show pony more than a you know, a really good combat aircraft, which it became mm. through the Falklands. Although now there is a Sea Harrier flying in America. Oh. As an air show pony. Is there? Uh, yeah. yeah. Privately owned. They, yeah, privately owned. But the Americans had their own... The AV-8. The AV-8A was very similar to the GR-1s and 3s. And then with the GR-5 to 9, that was the AV-8B. Are they still... They're still... The uh, Marines, I believe, use them. The Spanish use them and the... I think the Indians might still have some uh, Sea Harriers as well. I think we built 52 Sea Harriers. Mm. Is that all? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, on Wikipedia it says 98 Sea yeah. Harriers, but I think that includes the ones that went to the Indian Air yeah, Force. They're the only yeah. other Air Force yeah. to, um, or Navy, Navy. or yeah. other countries to buy them. Yeah. I mean, they were trying to sell them to the Argentinians, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. And uh, as I think we said earlier, they, they probably rather regretted not buying them. How good would it be to own a Harrier. Just going oh. back to the guy in America. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like, because you could literally land it in your garden. You'd have to get on with your neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Harrier or Spitfire as you're in your little private collection? Ooh. If you had to make a choice. Ooh. Um, I think it might have to be Harrier. Just a lot of spit. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you'd be quite... Spitfire's about. Yeah, I mean, I think running costs... Probably the, no, but the forget spin. about forget okay, about forgetting about running costs. Boring, We're just sitting there. Oh yeah, yeah. If, if, if I had the chance to own a ha yeah. Harrier before, it'd be a Harrier. That's Would every, it? Yes, but I remember Jim absolutely. Jim Schofield when the first ever interview did, uh, he was talking about because he flew the Harriers. Yeah, and he flew the he was a test pilot for the F thirty five F thirty five, and he was saying about and a couple of things I've been watching recently about the F thirty five is somebody described one of the chief test pilots said that. You, it's very easy to yeah. hover yeah. in the F-35. You could literally do it and read a book. <laughs> it's all designed to be very easy. Well, I remember Jim saying the Harrier was constantly trying to kill you. Yeah. That was his thing. So I was going to say, James, you've mm. flown mm -hmm. in a Harrier, yeah. flown a Harrier. What, yeah. What's it like? What was it? It's um, well, So I flew a T-4, yeah. which was operated by the Navy, but it was the, it was basically the, the, the two-seat version of the, the GR-3. Yeah. Uh, it, it is incredible. Um as uh, I said in the interview about viffing, that, that's just something else. So um, viffing is where you use the... The nozzle. The so, the you, 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 so normally in forward flight, the nozzles are pointing straight back for, yeah. for, for normal flight, but you can use them in flight, and yeah. it changes, obviously, the vector of the thrust. Yeah. Um, and it, it'll just stop it on a sixpence. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, 
but from a combat point of view, that that loses a lot of energy and, and stuff. So yeah. it, I think it's considered a bit of a last ditch uh, maneuver, yeah. uh, but it might get you out of a hole. But it, it, so I was up there at twenty five thousand feet, in an airliner sort of heights, flying along as a and I've flown in jets before. And then all of a sudden it just stops. And everything is telling you this, this shouldn't be happening. So you're just like suspended. Yeah. You know, it's just... Skyhooks. Just, you're, you're just sitting there on skyhooks. And, um, I mean, you're probably still moving a bit, but it's just... It just the deceleration. It's like hitting a wall. Yeah. Um, but there's nothing up there to stop you. So it's, so it's, it's crazy. And because it's a flying machine that hovers, mm. you know, like a helicopter, mm. we, we know, of course, that you, you bypassed the fast jet course and went straight, straight down into helicopters. Yeah, I don't, I'm a... um, <laughs> <laughs> is there any kind of crossover between... Yeah, them? so we, I used to teach... One of my jobs as an instructor on helicopters was to teach Harrier pilots the basics of hovering. Because the, the actual the hovering is the same. You move a stick right, the aircraft moves right, you move a stick left. So once it's in the hover, it comes under the control of its little puffer jets. Mm. Um, so you've got one on the nose, one on the tail, and one on each wing. Yeah. So as you move the stick, rather than moving the flying controls as it does in its conventional flight, it moves these little puffer jets, or put, puts the air through the puffer jets, to move the aircraft laterally or forward and, forward and backwards. So it, it feels exactly the same as it does in a helicopter, although it's, it's a bit more... There's a lot more momentum there, and, and it feels... You have less inertia. control over... Yeah, you, you, you can't... I mean, I, I wasn't used to it, um, but it, it feels like you have to work harder to keep it uh, in the hover than, a, than the helicopter. When and you, you're your, using the stick. Yeah, you're using the stick, that. same stick. Yeah. Um, and, and then as it transitions to forward flights, the, the puffer's um, authority reduces to nothing eventually, yeah. and the flying controls um, give it normal, normal flying. How quickly, if you're going from forward flight to dead stop yeah how quickly do the nozzles rotate well it's how quickly you rotate them you, you, so, so you, have, you, you have a lever <laughs> and where you put that lever is where the nozzles are pointing right so okay so it's totally manual yeah and that lever is dangerously close to the throttle as one of my friends found out <laughs> at an air show at south end yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to do a harrier pure harrier program yeah. at some stage so i'm sure we'll have a chance to enlarge on, on that but let's get to our guest this week who's the author of several critically acclaimed works of aviation history perhaps best known to date for the vulcan 607 about the black buck raids on stanley airfield during the falklands conflict his latest book is harrier 809 and focuses on the sea harrier's heroic role in the falklands with 809 naval air squadron this is the first book about the air war to be written since records were declassified and as such is crammed full of stuff most of us knew nothing about you'll be able to hear our full-length interview with roland white in our full flaps episode which drops a week after this podcast goes to air so it may be there right now so to whet your appetite here he is talking about what inspired him to write Harrier 809. What I'd love you to do is, for the listeners who haven't read it, what is your sort of, your big takeaways, your big blockbusters? What is hooking people? Why are they going to read this book? I've read it. I love it. Yeah. But, but what are, you've probably said it a thousand times on interview this week. Well, no, I haven't. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I mean, I'm trying to, I was thinking about it um, today and, and and it's really about how the story evolved. So I think you, you start off with something that feels uh, entirely like the Dirty Dozen. And I, I love yeah. that as a notion, you know, you, you, uh, there's an invasion you weren't expecting. Three days later, uh, uh, 
a former Sea Harrier squadron um, boss was told, and he didn't think he was ever going to fly the Sea Harrier again, you're no longer flying a desk. We want you to get back to Yeovilton and put a new squadron together. I mean, it's almost like the A-team, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, three days ago, you've got no aeroplanes, you've got no pilots, we'll leave it to you, sort it out. Oh, and you've got to leave in three weeks' time. Um, and so there were pilots dragged back from Arizona, from California, from Australia, uh, two pilots from RAF Germany who'd flown Harriers who were chosen because they'd previously had some single-seat uh, air defence experience on Lightnings, um, guy who was running the simulator, uh, somebody else who was um, uh, uh, on one squadron at Wittering work, working for Peter Squire, who was a former Red Arrow. Um, they were playing golf at the time. Uh, that he was called back to Yeovilton and Squire said to him, you know, don't you think we should have been playing bowls? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so you've got all these people sort of congregating back on uh, at Yeovilton with very, very little time to, uh, to get themselves ready. And so... You know, by the time uh, they went south, you've got people like John Leeming and Steve Brown, the two RAF Germany Harrier pilots, that ha- having less time in the cockpit of a Sea Harrier, and less than 10 hours, um, than RAF Spitfire and Hurricane pilots had had on the, the conversion units before going into battle in the, the Battle of Britain. So that that was the, you know, that's the sort of uh, <laughs> quite, quite a long elevator yeah. uh, ride, that's for sure. But that's the elevator pitch. Yeah. But then as, when I got into it, I realised that actually the story had become much, much more substantial. And it, it wasn't then simply the story of how to try to defend the carriers from air attack um, using the sea harriers. And this is the sort of critical um, uh, uh, thing at the heart of the story. It's the MacGuffin, if you like. It, it, it's the idea that um, those carriers were absolutely mission critical. Um, Sandy Woodward reckoned that if he lost Invincible, he could conceivably keep going. Uh, but if he lost Hermes, it was head home. The war yeah. was absolutely over. So those carriers had to be protected from air attack uh, by the Argentinians at, at any cost. And what I then I discovered looking through the archives, that the effort to protect them from air attack didn't just revolve around um, goalkeeper destroyers um, acting as picket ships sort of um, way ahead of the carriers. It didn't just rely on the sea harriers. It didn't just rely on the the, um, the, the, the Type 22 frigates, uh, broadsword and brilliant, that, that um, protected them with Seawolf missiles. It also involved this sort of epic effort um, back home, uh, around the world by MI6 in a sort of sting operation mm. to stop the Argentinians getting more um, uh, Exocet missiles. Um, in uh, Brazil, where there was a sort of argument between the MI6 man in um, uh, in the embassy and the RAF attaché <laughs> about how they were going to stop the uh, Argentine. Well, was that sort of information reasonably easy to come across, or did you have to sort of? No, I mean, I, I, I sort of ca- uh, there was the the MI6 side of the story. Uh, I came across in a brilliant book actually um, called uh, Exocet um, Falklands, uh, which is by uh, Ewan Southby Taylor, um, who uh, former Royal Marine, and, and that's very very good. And he obviously had an MI6 contact. Yeah. The RAF attaché side of it, I I got through talking to Jerry Brown, who was um, who I first met uh, when I was writing Vulcan Six Hundred Seven, because he was the guy who had to deal with the Vulcan that landed in oh, in yes. Rio, uh, <laughs> rather unexpectedly. Uh, but he said that he was sent off while uh, the 
<laughs> well, the the, um, the ambassador told everyone he was having an affair. Just to <laughs> that. he was sent off to. Uh, that to, was to, to give them the excuse of why he was no longer in his yeah, office. Why not? I think it's Recife, yeah. which is the furthest north yes. uh, airfield, which is where these resupply flights were coming in. He was sent off there with binoculars to kind of observe them coming through, and he saw crates that looked. Oh, he, he managed to get a a kind of um, a, a, a spy onto the plane. Um, it's, it's a sort of um, an air varig, wouldn't it be? A, a varig employee to actually looked at some of the cargo on the Argentinian plane and realised that there were uh, crates that he thought might have been big enough to carry Exocet. So then the argument raged between MI6 and, and Jerry about how they might deal with this. And uh, MI6 was saying, right, we want you like a kind of SOE um, uh, 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 operative to, to take sort of plastic explosives onto the airfield and <laughs> blow up the undercarriage and, you know, stop them like that. And Jerry's saying, no, what we want to do is take it out using F-4s from, uh, from Ascension Island. Um, and just the notion that that conversation was going on, I thought, was, uh, it, it's James Bond-esque, isn't it? Oh, is it James? I mean, yeah. the, this this book's sort of full of those James Bond-esque stories. I, I'm going to say, like, we still haven't talked about my favourite part of the whole book, which is all the air combat, which is in yeah. the, the last 150 pages, which yes. is like, I read in about an hour and a half, and we haven't even got to that bit. And that that bit we had John Leeming. Yeah, that was always the sort of icing <laughs> on the cake. And that was, if I could just make all that, uh, and I, you know, it's a gift, if I could just make all that sort of secret squirrel stuff exciting enough, and obviously you've got that, you've got spy planes, you've got submarines, you've got special forces operations, yeah. um, you've got, um, um, you know, the, the sort of potential involvement of the Americans. Um, if I could kind of make that uh, readable and exciting, um, then on top of that, you knew you had, uh, to actually a greater extent than any book I've written before. I mean, it, you know, I, I was, I mean, Vulcan 607 obviously is a, is a massive combat mission, um, but, uh, and, and dramatic in so many ways. But I've never really had an opportunity to write uh, or try to recreate dogfights, re yeah. recreate um, fight, fighting in the air before. And that, so that was a, it was an absolute joy for me. I mean, really trying to just imagine myself in the in the cockpit, and that that's that's I suppose what I'm always I sort of kind of my way with the fairies a bit when I'm writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but totally Rod, if, if you can make <laughs> if you can make eleven Victor tankers refueling a Vulcan seven times exciting, which you did, <laughs> I reckon you can make dogfights pretty exciting. Well, that's Roland White, and remember, we'll have his full-length interview in full flaps, which we're actually going to divide up into two separate episodes. Uh, there's so much in there. And uh, the book, Harrier 809, will be released on the 15th of October 2020 in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. So don't miss out. It's an absolutely cracking read. We've all read it. Yeah, we have. Ready. Well, we're very lucky yeah. we got advanced copies. We did. We persuaded yeah. and we needed it mm. in order mm. to interview. So, yeah. But it was, I mean, I, I remember growing up during the Falklands yeah. and I didn't know half the stuff that went on. I mean, I remember. Well, I don't think anybody did. I, I mean, yeah. I remember the um, Belgrana being sunk mm, yeah. and Sheffield yeah. and the Atlantic conveyor. I don't remember any of the other boats that got um, got taken out as well. They're called you know, ships. Yeah. ships. I, I'm, I'm from the RAF, so we call them boats. <laughs> <laughs> it's. it's, it's a, Especially towards the end, it becomes like a like a thriller. It's so fast. It really it does. It really a, moves on. It, it changes is, pace completely, doesn't it? Completely. Like it's an incredible read. Uh, it's a beautiful mm. book. The hardback is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the the pictures are incredible. There's yeah. 
beautiful cutaways of the Harrier at the back. There's a big appendix. There's, it's just a you, You've got a big appendix? <laughs> <laughs> but it is just, uh, yeah, it, it's a thing of beauty. So yes, yeah, it's a great it. book. Yeah, the glossary is all important. Yes. yes. You really need to sort of pull out glossary because there are a, so many acronyms. But in the bookmark at the back of the book yeah. and where you're actually reading to. Yeah. Just, I just cross-reference. Oh, and the maps as well in the front. Yeah, I, I, love lo- I love it. It's, it's a proper, yeah. book. It's proper book. My book, I've only had it for a week and I've read it. I've read it in a week and it's 450 pages mm. uh, and it looks like I've read it. I've, <laughs> like, I've had it for really... the same amount of time and I've read 180 pages because I read I'm four, struggling with some of the bigger I read words. 450 pages today. <laughs> <laughs> Skin reading? Uh, no, I actually read all of it. I actually, oh, in detail. Did you do that? Get on the I had a whole day. Yeah. I mean, literally, I did nothing else. Do you know, I was once lucky enough to meet Simon Weston, who was the Falklands hero of the yeah. Welsh Guards, who oh, was yeah? terribly badly was injured. Was he on Galahad? Sir Galahad, yeah. absolutely right. We, we were on through the keyhole. <laughs> Excuse me. And I, was, I had actually been done... So they did my flat in Chiswick. This is Amazing. years ago. That's and um, who was the? Oh, it was it, it was Lloyd is Grossman. It, really? it was Lloyd Grossman who would live in a flat like this. <laughs> and um, so Simon comes up. What a really an amazingly charming guy as well. Just so easy, modest, just wonderful. So Simon goes on, does the first half of the programme, and then uh, David Frost is presenting, and so they play the film. Even I didn't recognise myself in this film that Lloyd Grossman presents. And then they're given these clues, and the panel has to try and guess, and you're sitting in front of a camera backstage, and they keep cutting up close-ups of you going... With a horrible, it's it's horrible. horrible picture. Oh, it? it's just horrible. And then David Frost says, "Okay, well, no one's guessed it. It is, of course, Bob Curley." <laughs> okay, again, David, that's not his name. It's Rob Curley. <laughs> so I go back behind the scenery, and he said, "It is, of course, Rod Curley." <laughs> no, David, it's Rob Curley. <laughs> so eventually, he gets the name right. I walk out to sort of confused applause. They've just seen Simon Weston, for God's sake. Hero of the Falklands. Here comes someone who once read the regional news in London and the South East and had a very, very minor quiz show. I mean, obviously now, with Top London Gear, it'll be completely different. No one knew who I was. David Frost didn't know who I was. Even, even when they were told, didn't have a clue. So, I mean, I didn't know. I'd honestly lost all my identity by then. But anyway, yeah. So I just brought to mind that my meeting with Simon Weston, I've never felt so insignificant in my life. Oh, fantastic. Except for now. Because you know what it is, don't you, gents? Uh, it's time for the quiz. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm feeling much more chipper about the quiz this yeah. week. I think you I think you like Having the quiz. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a bit more than just Sea Harrier. It, oh. it broadens into Falkland slightly. Oh, okay. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I think you'll like it. I think it's a fair one. <clears throat> okay, we need oh, to now test the old oh. buzzers, everybody. Arm Hang your on. buzzers, thumb your trigger switches, pickle your missiles. Ooh. It's quiz time. Okay. What have you brought? Jimbo. Uh, I've gone with the Navy theme. Oh, I love bell. That. Is that full of stern? Definitely, yeah, I think. <laughs> I full like that. full proper, speed abaft planks, a, I think is probably what it means. proper bell. Uh, Jez? I've got two. Would you like to hear both? Oh, it's always, there's always a story with you, isn't there? <laughs> no story. All just right. I thought someone else. So this is the first one. Yeah. I'll, do you want me to tell now or after? See if you can guess. So Harrier starting up. It's a carrier takeoff by Harrier. Well done, James. It's a very really long way away from the... And yeah. this one... 
Took a little bit more research. Oh, that's from that's from Mr. and Mrs. or whatever it's called. That is true, true lies. lies. It's yeah. Arnie firing Art Malik, I think, mm. off Harrier. Oh, that's <laughs> brilliant. So you can have whichever one you like. I like the second one. That okay. one there. there you go. Very well. Well, yeah. punch through a bit better as well. Roy, what go. have you got? There you go. Good. Well yeah, done, Brian O'Hanra, O'Hanra, That's from, um, what was the programme? It was oh, on the hour. On the hour, yeah. 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 Or the day-to-day. Oh, day. love it. Okay, well, that's one question gone, so the quiz is going to be a little no, bit Leave quicker. it in, please. We are. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all going to answer. <laughs> yeah. Right, we are going to start with a multiple-choice question, so Ooh. you need to be quick on the buzzers. Which fixed-wing aircraft was used by the Royal Navy in the Falklands? A, Harrier. B, Harrier. C, Harrier. James. C, Harrier. C, Harrier. Yeah, well done. Oh, I must get my score sheet up. Well done, Jimbo. Yeah, good start, I thought. Reasonable. Yeah. See what he did there? Which Royal Naval aircraft, question two, was the Sea Harrier brought in to replace? I'll give it to you, Jez. Buccaneer. Incorrect. James, you know The Phantom. Not the Phantom. The Gladiator. Not the Gladiator. You mean the Sea Gladiator? The Sea Gladiator. No. No, no. Keep going. The Vickers Sidley. The Vickers Sidley. No, no. Love it. I read this today. De Havilland? Phantom. Wasn't the... It wasn't the Buccaneer. No, it wasn't. Off ships? Mm. Well, the only things that flew off ships, Well, it was originally designed, remember, it goes back to the early 60s, the concept of the Harrier. Yeah, OK, you can have a second lightning. Go. Oh, not off an aircraft well, carrier, Jez. No, I didn't think so, but... Sea Vixen. Sea Vixen is the correct answer. It is the Sea Vixen. The Gloucester Sea Harrier. Who made the Sea Vixen? De Havilland. De Havilland. Uh, now, do I give James yeah. a full point, even yeah. though that was his second attempt? Half. No, I think he kind of... Yeah. Full point. <laughs> full point. Okay. There were no halves here. Um, Jarrah, have you answered anything at all yet correctly? Yes. What? The questions from last week. <laughs> <laughs> Did I not get the question before? No, 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 no I just answered no, the question. That's no. it. No. Question three. It's a television film question. The BBC made a couple of films about the Falklands conflict. Name either. Yes, Jez. Hmm. Something out of rock. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, no, so Tumbledown. Tumbledown is the correct answer. Well done, Jez. You're thinking of the uh, Gibraltar thing, aren't you? Third rock from the... Death on the Rock. No, Death on the Rock, exactly <laughs> yeah, right. No, yeah, Tumbledown. Tumbledown. Can you remember who was in Tumbledown? Collins, no. Lewis Collins. Colin Firth. Colin Firth. Col- Lewis Collins Firth. Well done, well done. Have I remember they. Uh... I remember seeing them filming it at Elstree, and they, <laughs> one weekend they were trying to train the actors, soldiers, yeah. to march. They didn't have a bloody clue. Why can people not march? TikTok, they swing their TikTok, right arms TikTok, forward with their right TikTok, feet. Yeah. TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah, no man. That's now an act. What was the other one? And the other one was Squadron. an ungentlemanly act with mm-hmm. Ian Richardson and Bob Peck. Oh. And there's also an Argentine film, Los Chicos de la Guerra, The Boys of the War, Ooh. which would have been a good bonus point. But Jez, well done. Tumbledown gets you a point. Question four. At the time of the Falklands conflict, the Governor General of the Falkland Islands was himself a former RAF pilot who had at one time 
Flown Spitfires. Yes, James. Harrison. Harrison. Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison from the sound. No, from My Fair Lady. Incorrect. Um, You've had your go. Did you? Can we have the rest of the question? What's his name? Well, I always want to say Rex. I know it's not. It's not Rex from My Fair Lady. And it's. Any ideas, Roy? Do you want to chip in with something? Can you give us a letter? I'll give you a little clue. Rex is correct. Rex is correct. So Rex Harrison. <laughs> You've answered that twice now. It's, it's never going to be right. Surely he takes a point off. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Just blatant re- repetitiveness. I think I'm going to have to tell you. Was it Governor Sir Rex Harrison? His surname is not Harrison. <laughs> oh. <laughs> his first name is Rex. Oh, Rex. Oh. Yeah, but Rex he was known right. as Harrison by all his mates. <laughs> Rex. You can't be called Rex and not be known as Harrison. <laughs> all his squadron is. chipper mates used to call him Rex Harrison. Rex. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh. Rex Admiralty I Arch. can't tell you what it rhymes with. Should I tell you? Go on. Sir Rex Hunt. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. I'll give you a bonus as a question for this. The Falklands was to be his final posting, which he took up in January 1980. But what diplomatic post had he held immediately prior to the Falklands? Yes, Roy. Governor of Malaya. He was the Deputy High Commissioner no. to Malaysia. <laughs> well done, Roy Stride. <laughs> no, thank you. Finally cotton on to, the, to the, one, the one question nothing to do with the, <laughs> what the podcast is about. No, no, Rex Hunt. He was okay. the Governor of the Falklands. Yeah. Yes. And immediately before the Falklands, where there was Obviously, the war in 1902. Malay- yeah, Malaya. absolutely right. Um, that is pretty much it, gents, because oh. um, one of my questions was, uh, oh. was uh, stolen. So, um, yeah, that, that's... Who, who stole it? it? it you me. did. Technically, <laughs> that should buzzer. be a point. <laughs> so the final, the final scores are Roy Stride 1, Jez 1, James with a dubious oh. 2. There's nothing oh, dubious what? about it. Yeah. Always dubious. I think he, he got that's... C. Harrier. That's, that doesn't... <laughs> All he said was C. I Harrier. got it, though. I got it before you got it. That was the... So I think the, the trophy's back where it belongs. Yeah, back think, with the experts. Yeah, I think you've won it fairly and squarely. Yeah. Well done, Jibbo. Uh, terrific, terrific stuff. I thought it was a good quiz. That um, was a very good quiz. <laughs> well, Great episode. Uh, I really enjoyed this evening. I thought mm. uh, it was lovely doing the interview. Yeah. Uh, yeah top with guy. Roland. Yeah, Absolutely. Really top guy. So I could talk to him for hours and hours. Mm. But we did. And yeah. that's going to be on full flap. So <laughs> yeah, it is. Twice. Uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe more. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was lovely to meet him. The book is amazing. Go buy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, remember, you can still listen to all our podcasts from Series 1, although you don't need to listen to them all in one go, as the heroic Christos did during, <laughs> during his London Marathon run. Uh, and as we uh, already mentioned, we're about to embark on a top landing gear road trip to Bomber County. And they're hoping to return with a wealth of stories, experiences and interviews from that, which we'll be broadcasting in the future. And we're also lining up a winner from the 1969 Daily Mail air race and much, much more. And of course, as I always say, do let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature and we'll try and make it happen remember you can get in touch with us on twitter facebook and instagram at top landing gear and do email us with your questions for our expert james cartner we'll ignore them and we'll ask our own questions instead <laughs> uh, but to do that it's info at toplandinggear.com that's info at toplandinggear.com two g's, two g's. <laughs> and however you're listening to us please recommend us to your friends and family and do leave a review especially if you've enjoyed it in the meantime thanks for listening Goodbye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.